UMGoBlue.com. By fans, for fans. Since 1999. Hello. Welcome to this edition of the UMGoBlue.com podcast. This is Phil Callahan along with... Clint Derringer. And this is our By the Numbers podcast. And today we're going to talk about the game... And, of course, when we talk about the game, we mean the rivalry game, Michigan versus Ohio State. Well, Clint, what do you think about this one? Well, I, I'm optimistic, um, probably more optimistic than I've been uh, in a while. Uh, Michigan should win the game. Michigan should win the game um, as long as they execute uh, anywhere near as well as they can. Um, they, they have advantages across uh, you know, multiple you know, facets of the game, across the five factors on, on both sides of the ball, and, and they just need to make sure that they keep uh, keep the keep the game flow within uh, what they do well, and, and not try to get outside themselves. I agree. It's been a long time since I've been this confident heading into the game, um, and, and again, you know, we know that. The, the rivalry has been very lopsided the last 10 years or so. Um, you know, and, and the rivalry seems to go in swings. There was the, the Cooper era where Michigan won, I would say, more than its fair share of the games. It, it was very enjoyable, but knowing the, the nature of the rivalry throughout history, I knew it wouldn't last. I never imagined that it would swing back in uh, the Buckeyes' favor as much as it has. So um, I feel very optimistic as well. And I think it's a legitimate optimism. You know, every year, you know, again, this is one of the games that you always say, you throw out the records, and Michigan has played Ohio State tough during the last 10 years or so. I mean, there have been games where Michigan very easily could have won, but but they didn't. And this is the first time that I think if some kind of lightning strikes Saturday and and Michigan uh, loses, I think I'll be sorely disappointed and surprised. Uh, you know, as you said, Michigan seems to, and we always say seems because it is a rivalry game, and as much as Ohio State has looked vulnerable at times this season, they still are 10-1. and They're playing at home. There are rumors swirling that, that this possibly could be Urban Meyer's final game uh, as, the, as the coach of Ohio State in, in uh, Ohio Stadium. So you have all these, uh, these variables, these external factors coming into play. Um, but again, uh, you know, looking at how Michigan has prepared itself and, and geared up, you know, Clinton, previous podcast, you've mentioned that the offense has, has been kind of an onion, kind of unwrapping itself, showing different layers. And as, as much as people might have been frustrated at the game versus Indiana, you know, winning 31 to 20, but, you know, uh, not blowing them out nearly as, as much as people would have liked. The thing that I took away from that game is that you were able to get your field goal um, squad some some experience and some success, which is one of the areas that Michigan had struggled mightily with this season. Um, so as much as I think 
Um, Coach Harbaugh was hoping Quinn Nordine was going to kind of find his way and, and get back into his rhythm uh, to have Jake Moody come in and kick uh, six field goals. And again, very makeable field goals, but again, six field goals, get him some experience uh, you know, at, at Michigan Stadium. Now, kicking down there was, is going to be a very different thing, but really it was one of the, the last areas... Uh, as far as as you know, specialties that I had, that I had really questioned pretty much all year. So it's nice to know that somebody has some experience at least making the makeable field goals. Um, and, and again, you know, I would say the last two games, Rutgers. You know, people uh, question you know some of the statistics for Rutgers, but really I look at that as that was an offense that was really playing with one hand tied behind its back with Patterson not running the ball. Um, and then last week versus Indiana, it was a similar thing. He ran, but he, he didn't run nearly as much as uh, as you know he has in the past. So I think it's going to be very interesting. Um, Coach Harbaugh has uh, actually hinted that there's much more that could happen offensively. Although he also admitted that was some that was said that also in a way to give Ohio State something to think about. So you know, you know, Clint, I know that that you have a long history, uh, you know, supporting the team in this rivalry and, and being a fan. Um, what are your thoughts heading into Saturday about what Michigan really needs to do to 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 win down in Columbus and how difficult it is to to play down there? Well, the the intangibles. Um Really are, are are expounded exponentially. You know, the number one is adrenaline, right? and this is true of all rivalry games or um, first game of the year. Um, I think it, we saw some of the, the double-edged sword of that with uh, Week One being on the road, a rivalry game at Notre Dame, and being the first game of the year with high expectations. Adrenaline is is really a double-edged sword. It's something that you need and you get very hyped up and it's almost like a sugar rush right there's a big there's a very high high but there's also a fatigue factor um so hopefully uh we're able to harness a lot of that energy um a lot of the a lot of the adrenaline that's going to be pumping and and can execute even with uh, the heart stumping early on, so that we can be leaning on Ohio State with our offense as opposed to uh, the back and forth. I think where where we have large advantages are, are with our offense on the field. I, I expect it to look um, very similar to the other rivalry games um, as far as being uh, as far as how we played uh, in East Lansing. Um, how we played through that, uh, you know, the quote-unquote gauntlet in uh, week, you know, seven, eight, and ten, where we just need to keep the game centered around what we do well. Um, if we can control and dictate how the game is going to be played, then then things are going to go Michigan's way. That means uh, success, you know, on offense, staying in front of the chains, moving uh, moving the ball methodically down the field. Uh, hopefully punching the ball into the end zone a little bit more frequently than uh, than we did last week. But uh, wearing that defense down, um, you're starting to hear some of the, the national media and some of the, the game commentators 
uh, mentioning the, the offense's philosophy of, of throwing those body blows in the first half and wearing in defense down until they eventually give away. Um, it's it's no secret. That is definitely uh, Harbaugh and Pep Hamilton's philosophy. So <clears throat> that's, that's what we want to see. We want to see consistently moving the chains through the first half, uh, hopefully connecting on some, some big plays uh, down the field to the wide receivers and tight ends and um, let the defense really uh, download what um, Ohio State's game plan is going to be and, and tighten up uh, as soon as possible before they can exploit it for points. Um, just like always uh, with these two teams and a Big Ten, you know, and Big Ten championship-style uh, game, uh, field position, turnovers, uh, penalties, right, the referees and, and their how they call the game, all of that's also going to come into play, but um, you got to weather the storm through all the stuff that you can't control and just execute what we do well and, and play the type of game that we want to play. And I, uh, I'm confident that if that's what happens, uh, it's going to work out in Michigan's favor. I am equally as hopeful. And, uh, you know, one question mark heading into the game is um, we saw in the Indiana game be a little nastier uh, than I think I would have anticipated. Um, you know, especially with having two coaches on their staff that have strong Michigan ties, being Mike DeBoard and Mike Hart. Um, little surprise, some cheap shots there. Um, you know, Clint, and, and I'm wondering, what did you think about the play that Chase Winovich, um, I say apparently was injured on? Because, as you know, there's been uh, some... Uh, some false signals sent. We don't know exactly how injured he is, whether he's going to make an appearance. Um, uh, again, uh, ho- we're hoping we're going to see him. I think Michigan's definitely stronger with him there. I think he's one of the big catalysts on the defense. But what did you think of the play that he was apparently injured on? Well, um, it, I think it, there's parts of it that look worse than, than what was actually going on, in my opinion. So, um, number one, is it, it seemed to me like Indiana uh, treated the defensive ends, Rashawn Gary and Chase Winovich, a lot like uh, blitzers, like blitz pickup. So uh, essentially, those guards were um, were told to check to make sure you know that they didn't have somebody on their uh, in their rush lane and in their inside gap. And if that they were free and available, they were assigned to go help the tackles on the uh, on the ends. So the fact that he came over as the second guy in on Chase Winovich, it was done pretty much the whole game. And it was it, strategically, it makes a lot of sense in terms of what the strength of our defensive line is. It's certainly those guys on the edge. So the fact that he came over, hit him from the side, and, and knocked him to the ground, not only is it a clean play, it was strategically what they were trying to do, and that's why it was effective, um, double-teaming those guys. As far as piling on after he was down, it was a little bit overly physical uh, type of play that that happens, uh, regardless uh, of who you know which team you're looking at. If if a defensive player goes to the ground, you're assigned, and, and you knock that guy down, right? You've seen pancake blocks where those those offensive linemen are going to continue all the way running that guy down into the dirt. Uh, a lot of times when a guy falls like this, these these rush ends. Typically, they just kind of keep their hands on them and, and kind of keep them shoved down to the ground, uh, as opposed to 
jumping on top of them with all of their weight. But to me, I, I didn't see anything on that play that that really sent me through the roof. Um, but it was one more data point in an entire game that looked like it was uh, you know less less than I would have expected from you know just like you said from from Indiana and their staff. But that play doesn't exactly go down in the uh, in, in, in the record books in my terms in, in terms of cheap shots I, I not a, a huge fan of it um, it's very unfortunate obviously that uh, that Chase was in a position that, that hers, uh, you know, that he got hurt but um, I, I I don't think it's anything worse than, than what we uh, would encourage you know guys to play with a little bit of an edge and, and be aggressive uh, on both sides of the ball also. So not excusing it, but I think it's in that gray area of, you know, the, it is football. It is it is a, it's a physical collision sport, and uh, you want your guys playing with as much um, much of that edge as you can within the rules. I didn't see anything that was that awful. I think the, the thing that surprised me about the play is, as you said, when you're an offensive lineman and you're engaged with a defender, I mean, you are taught if that guy goes down or you get the edge on him. I mean, I, I mean, I remember even at the high school level, you know, I had a coach say, you know, if if you can uh, engage and get on top of a guy, you drive your shoulder pad through him to the ground. I mean, that's how you make sure he doesn't go anywhere. Um, and, and again, I, I think the the thing that, as you said, it kind of went into a gray area. And the thing that I question is, once he was down and you weren't engaged with him. To, for the player to come in and, and jump on him, as you said, a lot of times in, in that case, player will come and just hold him, you know, put their hands on him and make sure that you know he doesn't pop up and, and pursue. The uh, and again, you know, if if Chase had been at a at a different angle, it wouldn't have been a big deal. Unfortunately, the angle. I mean, to me, you know, again, you know, no confirmation. It really looked like he like he he injured his arm or shoulder. It looked like it got caught underneath him when the guy. You know, piled on with his weight. Um, I didn't like it. Again, contact sport. I I think the thing I question is once he was down and, and kind of disengaged to kind of put all your weight on him. Now, again, it is a chippy play. You know, there was a lot of chippiness going on back and forth. Um, there was another video clip that that was shown where Chase may have stepped on someone's uh, on ankle, and you don't know if it's. If it's uh, you know on purpose or or by accident, but again, it's a contact sport, especially on the among the defensive and offensive lines. So um, you know things go, things are going to happen. I think the the thing with Edwards later was was a lot cheaper. And again, when the game was pretty much done, um, I don't know where that comes from. A really kind of you know stupid frustration boiling over. I, I liked how Michigan dealt with it. Meaning that you don't want to do anything stupid and get ejected for the game, so I, I think that you know they, they, as a team they dealt with it as well as they could. Yeah, I agree with that. And the the late uh, occurrence that that we saw Berkeley Edwards get hurt, um, that one was much different. I, I don't think it was in the context of a normal football play. Uh, you certainly are going to collision the guy that's trying to block you, right? I, I don't mm-hmm. think that that guy. It wasn't a blindside hit by any means, right? It was, it, both guys saw the, the contact coming. Um, 
but he wasn't trying to make a tackle. He was just trying to hit Edwards as hard as he could. Again, on the surface, just hitting that guy as hard as he can isn't uh, isn't necessarily what I would deem a cheap shot. But the, he launched himself certainly, uh, certainly led with the crown of the helmet, um, and the damage that was inflicted um, is is about as bad as it could get on a play like that where where you you see the contact coming. Um, that's why those plays are illegal. That's why the targeting rule was was put into play. Um, you, you just don't expect to see it on, on a play like that where they're both heading into the collision knowingly. Um, so the, that guy had made up his mind. He was going to put everything into trying to hit that one relatively small guy uh, that was trying to block him at the end of the game, take out some of his frustration, and you saw the, the worst things that could happen when you put yourself in those unsafe positions, and that's why that rule exists. So as frustrated as we've been even this year with that targeting rule, um, that was a uh, kind of a sobering reminder as to why that rule exists because that that wouldn't have even been a penalty um, before the targeting rule. right? There, there was nothing there that was... Um, so egregious outside of the fact that we know the risks that are involved with leading with the, the crown of the helmet like that and uh, um, you know you got to take you, you got to have you got to have that rule in place for the, the well-being physical well-being of the players and um, like I said as, as Michigan fans you and I early in the season talked a lot about targeting but now uh, looking at it from that perspective um, I'm certainly glad that that rule is there and it seems like they're they're starting to normalize and, and standardize the way that they call it. So, um, bravo to the NCAA for getting uh, getting something right in terms of rules. Uh, it's pretty rare that we get to say that. I'm on the phone. Oh, okay. I agree. Uh, I, I, again, as you said, I think that the the targeting has, as you said, been normalized. So, back to the game at hand. So, looking at the at the sad tale of the last 17 games we had the 100th game in Ann Arbor where Michigan won 35-21 to I remember that fondly um, you know one of, it was actually it was Lloyd's last victory over Ohio State and then in 2011 we had the 40-34 to game that many Ohio State fans put with an asterisk because that was the Finkel year, the gap year between Trestle and, and Meyer so you know, looking back recently, um, you know, Harbaugh's first game, I, I think that that was one of one of the most disappointing games for me in recent history because, you know, Michigan had a lot riding on that game heading into that weekend. Theoretically, if they had won and things had lined up, they, uh, you know, could have won the East, East Division and gone to the Big Ten Championship. And that game really felt over by halftime. The next year, we had the the double overtime game down in Columbus that Michigan lost 30 to 27. And again, some controversy depending on on how you look at it. Um, you know, uh, if Michigan could have could have held in overtime, you know, or if Michigan could have went for two uh, instead of sending the game to overtime, uh, you know, again, you, you know, ifs and buts, but. Point was, Michigan was in a position to win, and, and unfortunately, down in Columbus, they, they couldn't. Um, you know, and then uh, you know, last year, thirty-one to twenty in Ann Arbor, and and lost again and again, led 
you know, and and looked like they were in a real good position to win. And then um, a backup quarterback came in for Ohio State and, and led Ohio State to victory. So um, I think a, a frustrating recent history for Michigan fans, and really looking forward to getting the monkey off our back and and winning in Columbus. Um, but kind of step back step back from that for a little bit, you know. Looking at last season and this season, heading into the last season, a lot of people thought the schedule lined up favorably for Michigan to go on a run, and, and of course we know that didn't happen. Um, heading into this year, um, a lot of fans looked at the Notre Dame game on the road, the Michigan State game on the on the road, and the Ohio State game on the road, and thought that, that things would be extremely difficult, that the schedule was lined up against Michigan, and yet here we are, Michigan has gone on has gone on a really great run, and are seem poised to for a big victory. Um, you know, and it, it, it's interesting that you know the way things work out. That I know I was kind of tentative heading into the season about looking at the schedule, and and now everything and anything that Michigan could have hoped for this season is available to them if they win on Saturday. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's awfully tough to find anybody that, that wasn't leery of the schedule um, going into 2018. Just the, the three rivalry games um, at the beginning, in the middle, and at the end of your season uh, with some other tough games in there with Wisconsin, Penn State, um, and having to travel to Northwestern, um, who, who I think most people expected to be uh, a challenger in the West, and, and turns out they end up winning the, uh, the the West Division. So, yeah, the the, the schedule lined up. Um, it, it did not look favorable, but that, you know, that's why they play the games. Um, the, the preseason expectations are certainly um, fun, and there's a lot of content there that, that is interesting. But it's still all just a build up to to kick off on Saturday. So. Uh, now that we've got all that information we're looking, it, it, it makes sense. Uh, I think the, the main reason that Michigan has been able to uh, surpass the, the external expectations from the media and from fans is because of what they do well. Number one, they have an elite defense. You know, there's uh, uh, an old cliche that defense travels. You know, that, that sometimes it's tough to score points on the road, but your defense is, if your defense is tough, you're going to be in the game. Um, I, I happen to believe that. I think it's it's the first and most important thing, uh, especially in the Big Ten, is to have a solid defense. And our defense is certainly much more than solid. But, you know, they're, they're elite. They're, if not the best in the country, then, then certainly right up there. Uh, I think currently S&P's got them ranked second behind Clemson. Um, so that's number one. So number two, they're, they're built on really focusing on the efficiency metric uh, in the S&P Plus stats. Like they, they want to be successful. Um, they want that success rate to go up. Right now, uh, on the year, their 46.9% success rate is ranked 22nd. That means on almost half their plays, they're getting the yardage that you would expect that you want to get to be able to stay on schedule. Um, to put that in comparison, the defense uh, is ranked second, and, and they're giving up 30%. So um, Michigan's in, you know, in the top 25 in terms of being successful on offense, and the defense again second. So those two, that that particular metric, that efficiency success rate uh, metric, 
together. Uh, that's that's Michigan moving the chains and getting first downs. And it's on the other side of the ball. It's creating three and outs, getting the ball back to your offense. That's what the team is built on, and because that's their philosophy, um, they're going to be in all of the games, even when they were at a talent disadvantage uh, in certain big games um, early in Harbaugh's tenure. Now that I think that the talent gap has closed at all the key positions, especially the quarterback position, they they should they should expect they should go into every football game expecting to win because. They, they have the talent to do it, and they have a philosophy that's going to keep the game um, within a, a couple of plays either way, regardless of who they're playing. So um, it's not surprising that they've they've outdone those expectations. Um, they're sitting they're sitting with a ten and one record, which is uh, what I I had expected before the season. You know, they they lost a game I thought they would win, and they they won a game I thought they would lose. But uh, this is what I expected, very similar to uh, to two years ago in Columbus with both teams 10-1 and one and playing for the, uh, the trip to Indianapolis to, to play against Northwestern. Looking back, you mentioned that Notre Dame game. And what strikes me is in that first game, the defense had some, some lapses and gave up two quick touchdowns. But since then, they have been... I mean, I mean, statistically and, and even in the eye test, I think the top defense in the nation. And it, it, it's interesting because, you know, again, you go back and you wonder if things have been a little different. But since those two quick strikes, they've really been, been locked down. And, uh, I mean, again, they're not surprising anybody. Um, there's plenty of tape available. And, and teams have not yet been able to find a, a combination to, to break them yet. And, you know, we, we talked about the differences between last year, and I think the, de- you know, I didn't think it was possible for the defense to be substantially better, but they are. But one of the biggest things is, is that the offense is basically carrying the load more and not putting them out there and hanging them out to dry the way that really happened toward the end of, of last season. So, a combination of, you know, we talked about if the offense could step it up, they would be a very dangerous team. The offense has stepped it up, and, you know, I like their chances against anybody. Now, you have to, you know, you have to play the games, but, you know, the, the specter out there is, is Alabama, and you look, and I mean, I remember the last couple of times we played Alabama, I was definitely concerned. Okay, to be nice, to put, put it to put it nicely, right? Um, man, I'd I like. I, I'm not afraid of that game. I'm not saying we're going to win it, but again, take care of business against Ohio State. Um, go to Indianapolis, and uh, I'd like to see how we match up against any any team in the top ten. Any of the teams that that look like have an op, you know have an opportunity for us to face in the in the playoffs, and boy. Looks like a really great, a great matchup. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, I struggled the last few weeks to kind of stay focused on the task at hand with this big uh, rivalry game on the horizon, and you know the the specter of you know playing for an opportunity to get into the playoff is uh, is also pretty you know pretty rattling or you know can be a distraction. So I'm glad the team has uh, 
has shown that they can take care of the task at hand, uh, even even with these big games on the horizon. And, and there's there's enough on the line um, in any given year between Michigan and Ohio State that, um, as a fan, uh, it, it's I've been excited for this since the clock hit zero uh, in, in the big house against Indiana. I, I just I think I think if we if we do what we should do. And, you know, there's a lot of margin there to where if we play our best game or any semblance of a good game, um, you know, one one notch back in the belt for, for some of the, you know, some of the frustrating past, you know, 15 to 18 years um, that we felt uh, in this rivalry. So it's time time to start turning that ship. And uh, it's, it's going to look very different here. Um, but, but it's all about making this Saturday the, a pivotal moment uh, in the in the horseshoe, and then uh, you know, and then ride that momentum into into Indianapolis, hopefully. All right, I think that's a a great place to leave it. Um, I think that's going to do it for this edition of the UMGoBlue.com podcast. This is Phil Callahan along with Clint Derringer. Go Blue. Thank you for listening to the UMGoBlue.com podcast. All rights reserved. Search for UMGoBlue.com on iTunes. Go Blue.